0: That's Indeed.com slash sports And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash sports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Before we get started with Bench with Bubba, episode 223, I'd like to talk to you about Super Draft. Great new way to play daily fantasy sports. It's not like the rest because there are no prices. You play the players you want, take the risk you want, because it's a multiplier point system. If you want the easy stuff like the run CMCs, the Tom Brady's, the Russell Wilsons, for little-to-known multipliers, you can play them. If you want to take your chances with some Ryan Fitzpatricks of the world for some heavy multipliers, you can play them too. When you create your account over at SuperDraft, it's in your app store under SuperDraft or online at SuperDraft.io. Use promo code Bubba when you create your account. You can create your account, play free games, all that fun stuff, test it out. When you make your first deposit, after creating your account with promo code Bubba, you get a $10 deposit bonus. Go to SuperDraft, use promo code Bubba when you create your account for a $10 deposit bonus. Also, if you're rating and review on iTunes, it'd be much appreciated out help the podcast out a ton. But for now, welcome to Bench with Bubba, episode 223. Bubba and the Bat Flip 12 talking some corner infield fantasy baseball. Back, everybody, to Bubba and the Bat Flip, episode 12. After a couple weeks off, we are back to talk some corner infield in the 2019 season with a little look ahead to 2020. You can find me on Twitter at BDEntrick and the Bat Flip portion of the Bubba and the Bat Flip. You can find on Twitter at Bat Flip Crazy Toby, how are we doing, my friend? We are doing good,
2: Bubba. I am. I'm in Philadelphia right now for a work conference, and so um, I, I mentioned this on earlier this week, but I love hopping around in different places to record the podcast. That is my goal, to uh, record the podcast in all 50 states, so we'll see. Okay. i have to bump the time a little bit. Um, uh, That is awesome. I've had two straight days of customized ice cream sandwiches, so I'm in great shape. How are you doing?
1: Good, good. I was wondering, I saw that picture. I was wondering where you had that at, so customized ice cream sandwiches. That sounds like a rough little trip you're on there.
2: (laughs) It's tough. If you are in Philadelphia, there's a place called Insomnia Cookies, which is also open until 3 p.m. They are or 3 a.m. on Sunday nights and I think like every day. Um, and I, they have not sponsored the podcast. But if you are in Philadelphia, check out Insomnia Cookies. They have ice cream. They have cookies. They warm the cookies up. They put the ice cream in the middle and then you eat it. Yesterday, I had double mint chocolate chip. Cookies with mint chip in the middle. Today I mixed it up with a little peanut butter cookie action with moose tracks in the middle, which was actually got complimented by the person we're uh, working behind the the counter, who was just like, "Man, that's a good combo." And that sounds so, amazing. If you ever need guidance on creating uh, an ice cream sandwich, you know where to come, people.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. Like uh, now, now I realize that now that you explain it, what it is. San Luis Obispo. I know people don't really care about all this, but mm. they they opened a place like that about two years ago. And we found it just walking home from a bar one night, and it's open super uh-huh. late. And talk about late night food—that was like money, like you said. And what makes them is that is the cookies are warm.
3: Yeah,
2: that, that's
1: like huge.
2: It's absolutely fantastic. Like literally, I was joking around that I, I should turn my Twitter into fantasy baseball and. Uh, customized ice cream sandwiches. Because when I was in <laughs> Hawaii, I also like made a side trek to get. Um, uh, I just love. I love cookies. I love ice cream. I love fantasy baseball. But I love cookies. I love ice cream. I love putting them together. I love eating them. If they, if you could just add fantasy baseball to the ice cream sandwich, and I could eat it all at one time, it would. It'd be the best thing ever.
1: Bat flip ice cream cookie crazy. Like we found it. Right. We found yeah. the calling. <laughs>
2: For sure. I mean, like, what's, what's wrong with that scenario? Like, ice cream, fantasy baseball. That is the pinnacle, the pinnacle of existence. I didn't realize I had to come to Philadelphia uh, to to reach the pinnacle of existence, but I have.
1: Well, it makes sense. You know, Rocky went there and found his his pinnacle of existence, so you had to find yours in Philadelphia. It only makes sense. <laughs> there you go. Uh. I'm, I'm going to need to do similar tricks.
2: To, to burn off these uh these, these these cookies i'm gonna have to find some stairs i'm gonna have to put on some real sweaty sweats and just like go to work
1: there you go well let's get to work on recapping the 2019 corner infield we're gonna go not super super deep but uh we're gonna go three three first basemen that we got right three first basemen got wrong same with third base uh right and wrong as well but before we get into that We can do it real briefly. Did you have any overall thoughts on the corner infield position? Because, you know, you go into the season and in the old days, first base was always deep and then this and that. Like I used to – like lately, to me, third base has been deeper than normal. First base is kind of getting shallow because it's kind of crappy. And then it's kind of – there's a gap. And then the late-round corner infield seems like it's pretty good, like where you have the Josh Bells and everything. But there was definitely a gap where it got ugly, um, you know, so long ago, but do you remember anything that might maybe stood out as, uh, with the corner infield position this past season for you? Um,
2: you know, uh, um, I think first base, like you mentioned is just, it's a little bit of a, it's not even top heavy. It's like Freddie Freeman and Cody Bellinger. And then, you know, just not a lot of great, great profiles. Um, and I don't think like a ton of, a ton of value necessarily. Um, you know, like, like this past year, um, I think, well, there was a lot of value this past year, but just like looking at the position, there's just not a lot to love. And I think particularly, you know, one thing that I focus on a lot on the podcast, like since I'm focused on Roto and kind of deeper leagues, is is what what are they doing for batting average and stolen bases, instead the scarce, of the scarcest categories. And it really, like Bellinger is the only guy, like Danny Santana, I think is kind of a nice value Um, obviously was this year when you could plug him in at first base with the stolen bases, but outside of those two, like you're not really um, getting a ton. And so I think you have a lot of similar profiles where you have some power, you have some RBI. Um, You hope the batting average doesn't hurt you, but it's a really limited position. Third base is a little bit deeper, but I really don't, I think deep at third base is, um, it just doesn't look, just doesn't look great. I don't think. Um, and so I'll talk a little bit more about that as we get into like heading into next year. But there's a little bit of depth at third base, but I don't love a lot of like the later
1: um, the later options, if that makes sense. No, it makes total sense. It's like I was looking back at my rankings from last year and I'm like, OK, at, at third base, I could go deeper than I could at first base. But it, I guess that also coincides like what you are saying of how shallow the the peak of first base is compared to where what everything else is and I guess we'll we'll get into that so we'll start with the first base position and we'll talk about three guys we got right so it's kind of like what we did with um, kind of surprises and disappointments that we've done before but we're going to focus more on the corner infield positions and starting with first base what is one of the first basemen is going into the last season that you got correct?
2: Yeah I mean first base wasn't great overall I think um, for me Uh, maybe I'm being a little bit hard on myself but The first person I have there is actually Freddie Freeman. I know it's kind of bogus to claim a bunch of uh, credit for getting Freddie Freeman, right. But through, you know, I know there was the huge debate like is Freddie Freeman the number one first baseman is um, Paul Goldschmidt, uh, the top first baseman. And for me, it was Freeman all the way. And so I had him in the number one spot and, you know, he didn't finish there because Bellinger just had a super good season. But I think if you if you track Freddie Freeman, you're pretty happy um, about it. And I don't want to look foolish, but I also was touting the fact that um, uh, Freddie Freeman had been stealing more bases than Goldschmidt as well. Um, you know, not, not the last past two seasons, but they've been going in different directions. And so that was one of the reasons why I liked Freeman was, more was because I thought he would steal more bases. And it wasn't a blowout. It was six to three with Freeman more stolen bases, but the fact that, uh, you know, I got those pieces right, given that there weren't, there wasn't a ton of success I had this year at first base necessarily. Um, I'm going to count that as my, as my number one victory. And I think um, going into next year, I think, you know, Bellinger is obviously the, the number one, I think at this point, um, I think I like Freeman more than Bellinger
1: probably.
2: Um, but, you know, I, I think, uh, I think that was, that was a hit, if you will. How about you?
1: Yeah, one of, my, one of my hits, and I guess these aren't going to be completely in order, but just kind of looking back on things, uh, Matt Olson, go, uh, pulling up my rankings from last year, I had him as my fifth first baseman off the board. And if you look at uh, the Rasball Ball play he finished 13th overall. And I'll still take that as a victory considering he missed like over a month of the season with a hamstring injury that he suffered in Japan and still managed to get 36 home runs in 127 games with the handmade injury, which many usually say is, you know, career ending or season ending for power-wise and all that. He had 267 on the year, which was, which was big for Matt Olson And maybe the bouncy ball came into play because you look at uh, the 2020 Steamer numbers and they basically have him going uh, 37 home runs in 150 games. So 13 more games, only uh, one more home run. Pretty similar numbers actually as you saw in a lower batting average than he had this year. So I don't know if Steamer say, is saying, you know, they're not gonna have the bouncy ball or whatnot, but exit velocity, ninety fourth percentile, ninety eighth percentile hard hit rate, all the x stats jump off the board for Matt Olson. The dude's been a, bat, a masher and, and a guy that I've been on for the last few years, and I think the the power is the sky is the limit for this guy playing in Oakland. Uh, you can get him super late, like if you, if you well not super late, but if you waited on a guy like Matt Olson, you could sneak him, you know, fifth, sixth round, maybe even later, depending on on what leagues you were in, what formats you're in, and really take advantage of that. So, like, if you went pitching heavy early, you can get the power with Matt Olson later on. And the fact he threw in a 267 average was tremendous. So Matt Olson would be a guy that I was very, very high on last year. I'll be very, very high on again this next year. And um, sadly, I think more people will be on to him this year, next year as well. But he's a guy that I, I still think there's a lot more to come with him. I think he's got 40-plus home run potential. He's only 25 years old. Uh, the ballpark is kind of a hindrance, of course, but if they keep that bouncy ball out there, which we've talked about before, reports are looks like it'll be a similar ball this next year. We, you, you never know till we see it. But if they keep that bouncy ball, he's got 40-plus home runs pretty easily for me, so I like Matty Olsen as one that I got correct.
2: Yeah, that's a great one, and and the, the the thing that's a little crushing about him, like if you didn't get him, is if you were drafting – later on or, or kind of, you know, I know he ended up on the waiver wire in some places because of the injury. And I know that in, in later drafts that happened after Seattle um, played their, uh, the, the A's played their first game, like you could have had him in, you know, round, whatever it was. And so the fact that you were onto him and, and kind of stuck with him, I think is, uh, is quite the victory.
1: Yeah, no, I, I got lucky. I, I remember having people come on events with Bubba last year saying, oh, yeah, you can drop him because guys lose their power. And I had him in TGFBI, and I never dropped him once. Once he came back healthy, I had him and uh, another guy we'll talk about shortly, teamed up together, which was very, very nice. So who's your number two? He looks familiar. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think you
2: also uh, got him. Um, Jose Abreu uh, was another hit for this year. I had him as my number five first baseman, um, ahead of Joey Votto, who was one of my misses, uh, Joey Gallo, Matt Olson. Um, of uh, my Matt Carpenter, Jesus Aguilar, other folks like that. Um, and I can't remember exactly where he ended up ADP wise in drafts, maybe around like pick eighty or something like that. But I got him in a few places. Um, I wasn't too concerned because I thought that the um, you know, the major piece holding him back in twenty eighteen was the series of injuries uh, that he had, and so I was expecting a rebound, and we certainly uh, got that thirty three home runs, one hundred twenty three RBI a 284 batting average Um, overall, the metrics were solid, you know, like pretty much what he has done in the past, if anything, you know, his contact rate stayed pretty much the same, but he did strike out, um, you know, 2% more than he had uh, the previous season and above his career average. And so we, there's not really a sign in the uh, metrics that I'm looking at as to why that increase would have happened. So we may see that go back down. Um, and then the, the home runs, 33 home runs with a pretty high ground ball rate of 46.3%. Uh, percent. I think there's still a lot of juice left in the bat. I think there's some even upside um, depending on what the ball looks like, but I think he's been a really consistent performer when healthy. So, um, you know, the fact to have was great this year. And I think next year, he's another guy uh, that I think I'm going to be targeting a lot, especially given where we are in the first base position and how, how thin it really is.
1: Yeah, I agree. He was my number two as well. I had him eighth in my rankings coming into the season. And one thing I love I love about Jose Abreu, and you mentioned it, is consistency. Something about taking certain picks like Jose Abreu allow you to take chances elsewhere. Uh, outside of that injury 2018 season, like you mentioned, he's essentially going for about 30 home runs, 85 to 90 runs scored, 100 plus RBIs, 285 plus average. Like it's all there year after year. And we've seen ceilings of like 300 averages, like it's consistent. And I absolutely love everything about it. He even struck out more of this last year than he pretty much did since 2015. So when you mentioned, you mentioned the ground ball rate, there's a lot to like here. And the other part that I think is really, really cool is I know it's day one of the hot stove on this Monday, November 4th, but they're already talking about it in Chicago. They're going to do everything they can to bring him back. And I've been preaching that for over a year now in certain shows I've been on because, They always said, well, they could trade Abreu and get something back. I said, no, you need this man in that locker room because you have Yohan Moncada, you have Eloy Jimenez, you have all these other talented young players, a lot of talented young Latin players, that they're going to bring Abreu back, they already said. And I think putting those players around him with more experience now. Imagine uh, uh, the Eloy we saw in the second half now hitting behind Abreu for the entire season. The the, the different pitches Abreu is going to see for an entire season. You have uh, Yohan Moncada getting on base in front of him uh, Tim Anderson's there. All these talented young players around Abreu could only make him better. Like I, I really like Jose Abreu. I, I will be on him again, just like you, you are as well. Um, I think was, we either talked about him early last year, or I heard you talk, and I talked to like he was he was a favorite player of mine. So the fact he did it again to me, he's like um, he's he's kind of like the Nelson Cruz of first uh in the in the consistent sense of things. And uh, he's definitely a guy that I will be looking to target next season. Who is um, your number? Just, from, just yeah. from
2: a news perspective, he he was offered the qualify. He, he received a qualifying qualifying offer today from the White Sox, which is okay. seven a one year seventeen point eight million dollar um yep. you know offer. And so from all all the the chatter I'm seeing online, it sounds like he would be smart to sign that offer. So I'll be really interested to see if he signs that offer, or maybe he um, signs for like a three-year, thirty-six million dollar, or something like that offer, which you know kind of compensates him for a longer period of time, but maybe lowers the annual annual average value of the contract um, uh, from the team's perspective. So that that it's nice to know that there's probably some certainty uh, with him, um, you know, staying with the White Sox, which I think is going to be an improved lineup.
1: Yeah. No doubt about it. Who is your third one?
2: My third one is I kind of combined two just because I'm, I'm creative like that. Um, (laughs) uh, there's two guys that kind of fall into the same category. And so I have Jesus Aguilar and Matt Carpenter. I actually didn't have them as far down as they finished obviously, but I had them below where, um, they were going generally in drafts. Um, I had Carpenter as the number nine and Aguilar as the number 10 first baseman, I think. Um, but I didn't have shares of any of them heading into this season. And I think, you know, the one thing that I kind of take away from this is really not paying for a career year. Like when you look at Carpenter, he's been around for a very long time. Um, he last year was clearly the best year that he's had on a number of different fronts. And so I really didn't want to pay the, the the price for the production of 20 um 2018 and I think the thing with a guy like Carpenter is he really is he doesn't steal and the batting average isn't great and also has like a ton of downside on the batting average and so that's not a profile that I want to pay for let alone pay for a career year of and I think similarly with Aguilar he kind of came out of nowhere um last year especially in the first half but when you look at the the underlying Numbers. I mean, like he—he he certainly made a, a lot of quality of contact, but his contact skills, if my memory is serving me correctly, deteriorated as the year progressed. And he also had a really high uh, run and RBI rate per plate appearance for some of the underlying metrics. And so they were due some uh, some negative regression. And so I just I just didn't love uh, I just didn't love Aguilar either. So I didn't end up with either of those players. Um, they finished much worse than I think they were ranked overall. I think my rankings were below what kind of the industry standard were. So I'm going to consider both of them kind of similar uh, hits in terms of guys that I didn't own any shares of that were major flops this year. What about you? What's your
1: uh, what's your number three? It's a pretty good one. My number three, I was very very proud of. He's the one I had paired up with Matt Olson in TGFBI. It'll be the number eight first baseman on the player Raider at Rasball. It is Josh Bell. Uh, this is a guy I absolutely loved. I didn't hear a lot of chatter preseason about him. You can get him super late. I was getting him late in rounds. I wrote about him. I talked about him. I loved what what his overall profile from the last few years have shown. I figured that he could take the next step. Now I will agree, the second half was not ideal. But we have seen that from other power hitters before, i.e. Cody Bellinger and others. Not saying he's Cody Bellinger, just saying Mm -hmm. these kids are young and things can happen, and they have to make adjustments. That's that's the beauty of pitching and hitting is uh, making the adjustments and trying to fool the guy again and then having to work off of those adjustments. And Josh Bell is trying to work on that, it looks like. Still had a great season. Um, He's going to be a lot more expensive this year. I had him ranked 15th coming into the season, which I know is a lot higher than most. Way higher, Uh, yeah. Yeah, and so I was very, very high on him. And I, I know he's gonna probably I'm actually curious to see where some people come out with him because I haven't done my, my 2020 first base yet. I just finished my top forty catchers and that was a, a chore in itself. Wow. But uh um, you deserve
2: you deserve yeah. a vacation <laughs> yeah. after that. And
1: that was uh, torture, let's put it that way. But uh it had to be done for another project that I have coming up. So I took care of that and once I get to first baseman, I'm curious to where Bell lands this season because you have to you do have to factor in the second half. Struggles, but still, when you're playing Roto, you see 37 homers, 94 runs, 116 RBIs, and a 277 average. As good or bad as it might have hurt you in the second half, the overall season production is outstanding from a guy you got so late to play corner infield for you. That was pretty darn good, and he played first base for me when Matt Olson was on the IL. So, I'm a big Josh Bell fan. It paid off this year. Now everybody else will, so I'll have to get my guys like, you know, Trey Mancini, who I had ranked 20th coming into the season. He was big. Uh, guys like cj crone and some others but uh, josh bell was the guy for me all right you sent me a little text here to alert me on something and jeff zimmerman did not take my pick for those wondering what i'm referring to i should probably tell you um the pitcher list expert drafts started today on monday the fourth and toby and i are in the same expert draft we are uh, Yes, I think it's like the second mock draft we've been in together. I know.
2: It's
3: pretty there's nothing,
2: funny. There's nothing that brings people closer together than a mock draft. Yes, especially a slow mock draft.
1: A slow mock draft. And I'm and if I'm wrong on the, the specifics here, clarify, but it's a 12-teamer. Different type of format, but they said 12-teamer because that's the most common. They they did the research on it. Nick Pollock is as thorough as they come, so I don't question that at all. So it's a 12-teamer, well, only three outfielders, no middle or corner infield. So rosters are a little different, but it'll still give us a gist of what we have going on. I'm kind of playing it when I'm drafting as if there's a corner in the middle and five outfields like I normally would. I'm trying to keep that mindset on how I would approach things. But um, I took Christian Yellick with the third pick overall after Acuna and Trout were gone. Um, Toby did his pitcher-pitcher thing. No surprise there. Pitcher-pitcher. Yeah, that did not surprise me one bit. I didn't even have to look at the top of the page. I just saw two reds. And I'm like, okay, that's Toby's. <laughs> hey, um, he capped also had two reds. So oh, kudos to him. He's He must be listening to the Bath of Crazy podcast. I'm telling you. <laughs> he must um, be. And so it's coming back to me. And I'm going to take a chance here because my next pick will be a pitcher. So with this pick, it might be slightly earlier than most. Ooh, I, I, love, I, I think I love what it's going to be. I hope I hope you're right this <laughs> I'm just looking.
2: Me... I'm looking at the draft board right now. Don't tell me. Just make the pick, and I want to see the player pop. He's
1: going to give me power speed combo with some upside.
2: Oh, I thought you were going to go a pitcher. I thought you. No, said you I said my next pitch. My next pick.
1: Oh, your the next third round pick will
2: be a pitcher. All right, so all right. I go too. with Fernando
1: gonna
0: go Tatis, Tatis Jr.
1: Jr. You're going to go three <laughs> Fernando, pitchers.
2: Yeah, I love that. I love the Fernando
1: Tatis Jr. pick right there. Yes, going Fernando Tatis Jr., power, speed, combo. He, in every mock draft we've done so far, it's either late second, early third. Um, usually I get a speed guy because I haven't drafted from the front. The two previous mocks we've done, i drafted from the back end of the draft. So I've gotten like Jose Ramirez, Trey Turner. Jeff Zimmerman took Trey Turner fourth overall right behind with my yellow pick. And Zimmerman said, well, he's got him third overall in the process, so he's got to take him early, which makes sense. Um, and that's a discussion well, we can do it at middle infielder next week. Uh, with Trey Turner, I think there's a lot to kind of weigh out on some of that stuff. But uh, Fernando Tatis Jr., my second pick in the draft, I'm really excited to see what that kid can do this year as his uh, second full season in the bigs. Yeah,
2: yeah, and I was I was super pleased that at pick eight. I was able to get a little bit of Garrett Cole. So, and it's interesting. There was a there was some good back and forth both in the messages and I think on Twitter. I, I took Cole. Some people prefer Degrom at this point, since we don't know exactly where Cole is going. I'm comfortable with all the places that I've heard Cole rumored to go, and I just think like the K upside is higher than it is for Degrom. Although I, I, think you know Degrom has obviously been incredibly consistent over the last two years and is a dominant force. But I think the K, the K percentage kind of boosts Cole a little bit over Degrom for me. And my second pick for the first time in my existence. I drafted Shane Bieber uh, with pick. Um, I can't see it, but what is it? 23, 22, 21, 2019 with pick 18. So I got a Garrett Cole, Shane Bieber uh, combo.
1: Yeah, it's a, the Bieber one didn't surprise me because there's a like, uh, Modica took Bueller on the turn. There's, the, the, pitching went early and often. Let's put it that way. For sure. Um, I took Tatis over Chris Sale because I don't trust Chris Sale at all right now. I just, I. <laughs> I, it's almost though if he falls to third round, I might take him, but it's it's hard to uh, to, to grasp. I need to go look a little more at what starting pitchers are there because the guy I want to take there, and I don't think he's available, but since we're on this this sideways note here, let me pull up starting pitchers real quick. Oh, man, it's got to be Clevenger, right? Yeah, is he still there? Oh, he is. Yeah, he's these still available. Are, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was debating between oh, Bieber and, and, Cle- uh, and Clevenger. Yeah, Clevenger's gotta, the guy I want. Yeah. Well, we'll see if he gets back. It's kind of interesting. I expected a little bit more pitcher action because like there's zero pitchers taken in the first six picks. And now there's zero pitchers taken from those same first picks in the second round. And there was one, two, three, four, six pitchers taken um, out of the 12 picks in the back half. And so I was expecting maybe a little bit more of a pitcher run to make sure that folks, Kind of got one of the solid pitchers, but um, so far, not not the case. It'll be really interesting, and I think even in twelve-team drafts, it points to the fact I really love being up there at the top because yeah. you know for me, it's Garrett Cole is number one for the time being. But like, you you, know, wait, I saw I saw you
1: players. I saw you tweet that you'd actually take Cole over like Acuna, Trout, and Yellick?
2: Yeah, I think I would. Um, yeah. I think I would. I mean, you know, it's obviously before we know where Cole ends yeah. up. And so, you know, that'll determine a little bit of where I value him in the overall scheme of things. But for me, again, like, I just think that starting, the, the questions come up so quickly with starting pitchers. Like, there's just so few of them that are, that are quote unquote reliable. Um, and for me, I just really love heavy starting pitching early. And I think you can make up, um, you can make up, With depth, some of the loss of uh, of uh, offensive performance later on in the draft, especially in a twelve teamer, I just think that like the difference between the top end starters is much bigger than kind of like at least after Trout, Acuna, and Yelich, like the rest of those guys and guys I can pick up in the you know third, fourth, fifth, sixth round. I mean, I'm literally going to go the next. Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, at least the next twelve rounds will be all offense for me,
1: yeah, I'm curious to see how it plays out like I think we've we talked about it before, I agree, you need a couple of the good pitchers, so like I'll go with one here on the third and then one for sure on the fourth and the fifth just depends on how it kind of plays out. I want two at least you know top two tier pitchers. By the end, like I want one. I think Clevenger's a top tier pitcher outside of like the Cole Scherzers of the world. I think he's that next real good clump, like the Beavers. and then and then I want one more of like the Strasburg Nolas that kind of group. If I can get one of those, so one of if I can get two of like the top fifteen or twenty, I'm happy. And right now, I think I still can. But like I said, I haven't drafted from the top. That's what's fun about mock drafts, and it'll be fun to see how they change come February or so. So yeah, will be quite interesting. But um, let's get back to the first base position. We did the three we got right. Freeman, Abreu, Aguilar, Carpenter for Toby. I had Olsen, Abreu, and Bell. Let's do three we got wrong at the first base, first base position. Toby, this is a guy I almost put down, but I think we can all agree we got this one wrong. Who is it? Yeah,
2: I mean, I think we talked about him a little bit, and there's just the overall misses. But Joey Votto uh, was definitely one. I think I had Votto as the number six first baseman. Um, and, you know, I expected a little bit of a power bounce back from Votto. Thankfully, I didn't have him a ton of places. I think I might have had him in one or two leagues, um, but, you know, and, and obviously it looks like the well is dry there uh, for Votto. There's not much to say that the power's just not there. Even the batting average, um, you know, fell a lot, and, and I know, you know, he's had some quotes saying that he kind of figured it out towards the end of, uh, last year, and, and he feels like he's got an approach that's going to work for him heading into 2020, and and I just say, fool me once, shame on what is it? Fool me once, shame on you, shame on me. Shame he, he on on you shame on you. Fool me
1: twice, shame on me.
2: Fa- fool me twice, shame on Joey Votto. So <laughs> I think um, I, I'm just not. I'm going to be. I'm, I don't know if I'll be totally out on Votto. You know, depending on how far he falls, but I just think. You know, I think we've seen the best days of Joey Votto, and I think I think it's just an empty profile um, at this point in time and not one that I'm going to risk taking. So that was definitely a miss uh, miss for me uh, this year. What about you?
1: Yeah, my first miss, and I agree with Votto, I'm with you there, but my first miss is Pete Alonso. This one's pretty simple. The dude only hit 53 home runs, 120 ribbies, hit 260. Did everything like a top first baseman should do, except I didn't even have him ranked. I didn't. I didn't think he'd play much out the gate. I figured he'd be more of a two thirds of the season guy. And I didn't want to play that game. I tr- out of all teams to take the chance, I did not trust the Mets. And uh, sure enough, the Mets took the chance, and it paid off in diamonds. And I had none of those diamonds. I know there's other guys like Medica and others that loved loved him uh, in a big, big way. And I just did not buy in. I'm really curious to see where he goes in drafts this next season. But uh, heck of a bat. I had nowhere near the sights for him, and it sucks because you could have got him pretty darn cheap uh, going into last season and just got absolute gold. So I, I won't go too much deeper. It's pretty self-explanatory. He's going to be the rookie of the year most likely in the National League. Pete Alonzo, I had nowhere on my radar at all. Yeah,
2: that's my that's my number two as well um, on my list is, is Pete Alonzo. I, I missed the boat on that one. Uh, and, you know, I, I what kills me is I had an inkling because I think I've mentioned this on the show before, but when I was looking at him, like it's so hard to figure out how prospects are going are gonna to do, but we knew that he was going to mash. It was just a matter of how much contact he made. And the narrative was that he, that he was really going to struggle with contact a lot. And it's not like he's like a contact champion, but when you look at his minor league profile, like there was not outrageous... Strikeout rates, right? He had a 26.4% strikeout rate in the majors. If you look at the minors last year, it was 25.9% with the Mets in Triple A. But the same year in Double A, it was 18.3%, 14.9% the year before, and 18.5% same year, and then 17.9%. So really, well below league average strikeout rates in all but one year through the minors. And so I was looked at that and I was like, oh well, maybe he has a little bit more contact than we're giving him um, him credit for, but I just, I still was out. And I think it's, I have this like natural conservatism when it comes to uh, making fantasy baseball selections where I just have a really hard time drafting guys with uncertain playing situations, even if they have upside, even if it's late in draft, I love to like fill in every single position before I start taking chances. And I think that's something that I'm I'm looking to change in my game a little bit and just make kind of, try to make smart decisions about when to kind of go for an upside play and be comfortable trusting myself to be able to nab somebody later on or through the waiver wire who can fill in if that guy doesn't end up getting you know, the playing time that I'm hoping for. So Alonzo was also, for me, that was the, the second
1: uh, first baseman that I missed as well. How about you? Yeah, my second one is Matty Carpenter. You got him right because you had nothing to do with him. I, got a, I didn't own him anywhere, thank God, because I wasn't the only one in my drafts that apparently thought highly of him. But I had him ranked seventh. I had him ranked right before Abreu and Gallo, which uh, is not good. He uh, finished with 15 homers, hit two twenty six. It was an ugly, ugly season. And, and, and I was thinking, okay, he had 21, 23, 36 home runs. Give me 25 to 30, and I'm happy. Like, I'm good there. I didn't expect the bouncy ball, of course. I wasn't going that route. Like, you look at his X stats numbers, and it's disgusting. 22nd percentile exit velocity, 16th percentile hard hit rate, um, you know, X slug, X batting average, 9th percentile X batting average. Everything he did was bad. It was bad. His barrel rate was down to 7.8% lowest of his career. Since they've documented, like I said, a hard hit rate, 31%. Uh, he walked less than he usually does. Everything you look at was just atrocious when it came to Matt Carpenter. Yeah, and people kept saying, okay, it's coming. Because early in the year, you know, the numbers showed a, you know, potential change was coming, and then it never came. And then the numbers started to get back to normal, and it was just bad, bad, bad. His chase rate uh, went up a little bit. His zone swing rate was up, and so was his, like I said, his chase rate. His contact rates were down. He wasn't hitting the meatballs. And I think that's a really interesting stat, especially in a juice ball era. If you're you're getting a better meatball rate, you're going to start smoking things. I think that's one of the ones actually – started looking at more and more this past season that that stood out. His ground ball rate went up uh, almost 6%, which is not good in a juiced ball era. So you just look at him left and right and it was just bad all across the board when his, um, you know, I always love looking at the similar batters to part, similar batters to Matt Carpenter this year. Curtis Granderson, Heimer Condelario, Robinson Chirinos, Eric Thames, Kevin Bezio. The Bezio one's not bad. That surprised me, but some of those other ones not pretty at all. So Matt Carpenter was my number two. I wasn't buying into the monster season from 2018, but I was still buying into a pretty good season, and that did not happen. Who's your number three? Um, you know, and, and on Carpenter, I think it was something psychological
2: for you in liking him because oh yeah, <laughs> you didn't, you, you, because you draw you dropped him before he went on that big run. So yeah, yeah, I, there
1: was something there.
2: I mean, it's like it's like a double, it's like a double whammy. Bubba. Yeah.
1: well i'm just glad um, i'm just glad i didn't own him like i had him right yeah. I, I would have got him but other people grabbed him before me thank god yeah
2: yeah totally it's interesting how that works though that's one thing that i'm like trying to figure out how to keep myself from doing i'm actually reading like a book right now um that's about like behavioral economics and like some of the biases that we have and trying to figure out like how we you know, just trying to steer clear of 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 falling into that trap that our mind often gets us into. So we'll see. I'll keep you posted. You'll, 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 you'll have whether to whether that
1: happens or not. Yeah, you'll yes. have to find it because I just kind of I don't make projections or any of that. I kind of I go through numbers and I make my rankings more off the feel. I know you're more right. of a a data guy, and um, you actually make your projections, or at least you do a, a, a conglomerate of things and make your projections that way. I think it'd be fun if you did it where you couldn't see the names till it was all done yeah and then there's your numbers that's what it is absolutely yeah and that's that what, and that i yeah. think
2: is the is the challenge is so many times like the projections are the best way to go but then there's always examples of where there yep. there's some sort of weakness in them um and so yeah i mean the people people on the listening to the listening to the podcast don't actually know this but i'm actually a robot like, <laughs> um so yeah a computer that makes a lot of errors.
1: <laughs> uh, well, let's talk about error number three. Who was the third guy you got wrong? The,
2: thir- the third the third, error, uh, error and, and clearly the most painful was uh, Max Muncy. Um, I was not in on Muncy. I did not own him anywhere. Um, it's not that I thought he was going to be terrible, but I just didn't. He outperformed what I thought he was going to do. And, Mm -hmm. um, I had some concerns about the contact in the profile, but he pretty much replicated what he did, um, you know, in 2018 and having been, uh, you know, having had kind of the Muncie bounce in 2018 and having had him, uh, contribute greatly to my teams that year, I was, um, certainly, I was pretty, pretty sad that, um, you know, that he ended up doing... Well, I wasn't sad that he ended up doing uh, doing so well, but that I that I missed out on him uh, this year. And so that was a little bit of a bummer not to have him uh, any places because I think just from a power perspective, if there was places where my teams were a little short this year, it was on power, which isn't necessarily surprising given my approach to drafting a lot of times, but um, I definitely could have used Muncie on a, on a couple of my teams. So how about you? I, I imagine it's a similar... Uh, Maximus
1: Muncie yes. situation for you at number it, three. It is a similar Maximus Muncie. Um, I had Bellinger and Muncie. Bellinger I've talked about before many times because I want everyone to realize that I admit when I'm wrong. But um, Max Muncie, this is a guy I wrote an article about. He wasn't worth his draft value. I spent time really digging into not liking <laughs> Max Muncie. And what it wasn't like that I didn't think he was a good player and I wrote about that. My biggest concern was David Roberts and playing time with all the other players there. Roberts proved me wrong. He actually used his brain and cool. he played Muncie a lot more than I thought he would. I thought there'd be way more platooning. He played Muncie a ton at second base uh, in other positions besides what, you know, going into the season, it looked like he'd just be at first base, maybe platooning with David Friese or something. Then he made a bunch of moves and things changed and the playing time was there. And then I got fooled. So if if the playing time wasn't there, that was my biggest argument, and the playing time was there. And thus Max Muncie was a stud, and I missed on Max Muncie. Yes, fun times. All right. Let's head to the third base position. We'll talk about three we got right. We got some common denominators here. Let's start with your first one, Toby. Um my first one um for third base.
2: Um the one I got right uh, was, again, this is a guy who had a terrific season. I had him in a few places. Everywhere I had him, I, I won, uh, not surprisingly. And that's Anthony Rendon. Um, Rendon, I had him as my number six. Third baseman. So the first five were pretty set in terms of Jose Ramirez, Nolan Arenado, Alex Bregman, Manny Machado, and Javier Baez. I think all those guys were were second round guys. But I had Rendon at six before guys like Vlad Jr. and Chris Bryan and Eugenio Suarez um, and some other guys. And so um, and I ended up drafting him in in at least a couple places in my dynasty league. I traded for him. I, I specifically targeted him for. Um, a trade and that worked out well because I traded uh, Matt Carpenter was one of the pieces that I traded uh, to get him. Um, and so that is, um, yeah, that, that uh, Rendon ended up working out really well for me. And I, didn't, I mean, I think the thing, the value about Rendon even prior to this season is just the profile is, is fantastic. Um, when you look at the O swing has always been um, very, very good to, to good. Um, And then the contact rates are just uh, super strong, both in the zone um, and overall Uh, the big, the big difference this year was the increase in, in hard hit rates. He also has very low ground ball rates. I mean, everything that you're really looking for in a player he's getting um, he moved, I think he's traditionally hit when, when Harper was around, he was hitting uh, fifth or, or six sometimes maybe even second. And so batting, Uh, generally clean up in that lineup clean up or third uh, was just a really nice spot uh, for him to be in there there was just so much to to love about Rendon and I think we've probably seen the best season that he's going to have I'm interested to see kind of where he ends up but in some of the analyses that I've seen about players who benefited from um, the happy fun ball he's definitely a guy who um, has has kind of fallen in that category and then when you look at the last uh, three years, including this year, I mean, there's pretty consistent high batting averages from him, 301, 308, 319. And that seems kind of reasonable overall. But then when you look at the home run totals, you know, 25, 24, then 34 before that, his max was 20 and 21. So he's actually a guy, I think this is kind of like his peak value that we're seeing in the, in 2018 so he's probably not going to be a guy i have any shares of next year i mean he's going in the first round it's not that i dislike that because i think he's a very solid performer but i do think um you know i'm i'm, I'm probably not going to be that into him and probably have zero shares um this year
1: yeah i'm gonna agree with you on on one of them that uh would be anthony Rendon as well i had him him and a Eugenio a- a- suarez right right next to each other i'll talk about suarez later but Whew. uh R- R- Rendon is one. As I, I basically went into drafts going, I want one of these two, mm. and I got one of those two pretty much everywhere I went. So I was very, very happy with that. I have a, I'm a, I have a very soft spot for Alejandro Suarez. Um, people say it can be a problem at times, but I will talk about him later. But uh, Rendon, 100 percent with you. You, you nailed everything about him. I'm real curious to see where he signs. Talk about a guy that uh, hit the perfect timing for the happy fun ball. It's uh, a free agent campaign. You can't ask for a, a better time to have the happy fun ball. So and, it'll be really. Yeah. He's nasty. He's a heck of a ball player. But yeah. The, the power, we have not seen that from him. We'll have to see if it consistently be, is there. But uh, the gloves there, the average, he's always been a pretty good average guy. So uh, it'll be fun to see where he lands. I hope he goes back to Washington. I just don't mm. know if they, they will pay enough. But I think he, he'd be good there with Soto for a little while. With a while longer, at least, but uh, Rendon will be my, my number one as well.
2: Who's yeah, your number and two?
1: I, and, yeah, and the, the challenge with Rendon really
2: quickly is he's like the one guy where I'm just not sure. It's like hard to identify who exactly is going to be in on him and where he could end up if he doesn't end up back with the Nationals. And obviously, like he's not going to go after I think the seven-year, two hundred ten million dollar offer they had, but they're kind of in a bind because they also have Strasburg you know, who's kind of out there um, now as a free agent. And so it'll be really interesting to see what they, um, you know, what they, what they end up doing. Really. It's going to be, uh, it's going to be tough.
1: No doubt about it. Who's your number two? Uh,
2: my number two is um, somebody I'm always really happy when they fail. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. I'm never, <laughs> never happy when any player <laughs> fails, but um, Chris Bryant is my number two. Uh, he was part of my bold predictions. I predicted that he would finish outside the top 10 third baseman, and he he did that at least according to um, to the ESPN player raider. He was number 13. I think from an auction value standpoint, based on fan graphs, I think he finished number 10, but kind of identified ahead of time that I would use the player raider, so I felt uh, okay using that to judge it. But, you know, Brian wasn't – he wasn't terrible, um, and I feel like that's kind of the definition of Chris Bryant at this point. It's like he's good – He's not great, but he was a, you know, he was an MVP like four years ago now. And that's kind of like, that's his best season. Like we haven't really seen him approach that. And, you know, his batting average um, was 282 this year. He's kind of outperformed it a couple years. So maybe that's something that he just, uh, he just does. But, um, you know, I don't, I just don't necessarily see how his profile really, um, like, I don't see it as being something overwhelmingly special. And he continues to go really high, uh, really high in drafts. And so I just don't, um, you know, even Steamer loves him. You know, they have mm-hmm. him as like, you know, you know, the, the 273 with 31 home runs, 101 runs and 91 RBIs and four stolen bases. I think the challenge for me is I don't think the average is going to be super high. And I th- I do think that there's a floor there that's like, at league average and then i think he's not stealing bases anymore um and he hasn't had more than 77 rbi since uh since 2016 and so obviously like if they slot him in as the three hitter in that lineup next year with um uh david david ross as the new manager i mean that might change things a little bit but i'm just not not a big chris bryant fan he seems to be a guy where the name adds a lot of value in and for me, that's a, that's a losing proposition. So that was my number two hit was just steering clear of anything related to Chris Bryant. How about you? I know you're going to be really excited about the second one.
1: Yes, my second one is a Eugenio Suarez, a man that hit 49 home runs this year and hit 271 along the way, driving over 100 runs. This man is a beast. 34 home runs in 18. It increased every year. He, it, it, The scary thing is is he definitely was aided by the the happy fun ball. I'm not going to say. He wasn't. He's still, I think, a 35-plus home run hitter. But his strikeout rate did go up uh, 5% from the previous season. But look at his walk rate. His barrel rate is the highest of his career, went from 9.7% in 18 to a 14% barrel rate. That is insane. That is quite the jump that even the fun bouncy ball shouldn't have as much of an effect. Like Obviously, the more you barrel it, the harder it's going to go. But if he barreled the regular ball 14% of the time, I think he's going to have quite a jump in the long ball. Just throwing that out there. Um, Like you just look at all of his numbers. His his, uh, ex-wobo on contact was 460. His hard hit rate was 41%. This dude is an absolute monster. He had a a 32% fly ball rate, which is the best uh, of his career. His line drive rate was 24%. He was pulling the ball 50% of the time. Previous pull rate, 39.4%. He upped it to 50%. For those keeping track at home, when you barrel the ball, you hit it hard, and you pull it, you hit way more home runs. That is the recipe for success. And um, he did all of that this last year. So maybe he wasn't the biggest, one of the bigger benefactors of the happy fun ball. I didn't look into the distance of his home runs. I didn't go that deep. Maybe they were, you know, he had a couple, a lot of short ones. Maybe he was the benefactor. But if you look just overall way he hit the ball better this season, he uh, was a massive, massive improvement. Uh, he similar profile of, of Matt Chapman, a couple other goofy ones that I, I won't go into because I just looks. I don't know how they got those names to go with uh, A.O. Suarez, but the dude's a monster. I'm a big fan of his. He's 28, still going to be hitting in Great American Small Park, which is always a great place to hit in, especially against some of the pitchers in that division. I still expect 35-plus home runs regardless of what happens next year. You know, 270-ish average makes sense. If you look at Steamer's projections, they got him for 35, 83, and 95, and then a 252 average. I'd expect a better average than that, but 35-plus home runs for a. Eugenio Suarez. I think a lot of people are still going to be very bullish on him. Uh, they're not going to believe he did what he did type thing, and they're going to have a lot of guys ahead of him. So I think he might still get a deal on a guy like a. Eugenio going into the next year. And he's a guy that I loved this past year. It was Rendon, it was Suarez, and the next guy I talk about were my three favorite third basements. And uh, Suarez is a a big one that I will have high on my radar again next year. We'll just see how high everybody else is as well. It's a weed. you got to love Eugenio yeah big fan of that one i like your number three who you got there
2: oh man my number three is is one of my favorite uh my favorite hits of the year and that is the one and only hunter dozier so dozier was a guy that um even towards the end of last season the 2018 season i kind of identified i like to talk about the uh let me see if i can get this right my own like saying but um You know, when I think about uh, what I'm looking for in a hitter, there's kind of like the four legs of the stool and the four legs of the stool are good plate discipline, uh, good contact skills. Those are two legs Uh, hitting the ball in the air a lot. So a low ground ball rate, and then quality of contact. So like hard hit rate or barrel rate, things of that nature, although barrel kind of combines the last two. But those are the things that, I, that I'm looking for. And when I saw Dozier, I saw a guy who, um, towards the end of last year, the contact skills were great. He was hitting the ball really hard. And then if you looked at his stat cast metrics, he had a max exit view of around 115 miles per hour, um, which is, which is pretty, pretty, pretty solid, if not elite. Um, and then he was also starting to hit the ball on the ground less um and so he was hitting the ball in the more in the air more and so really heading into this year the one thing that he needed to change was to improve his play discipline now i'd be lying to you if i knew if i said that i knew that that was going to happen but um you know those are the types of guys that i like to bet on is a guy who really only needs to make one change to his um, performance in order to take that next step forward and at least for a large part of the season that's what Dozier did. His play discipline improved dramatically. And then, you know, he, his expected batting average and his expected metrics were a lot higher than his actual metrics. And then he started to see that positive regression based on those skills and, and was a solid contributor throughout the year. I mean, in the end, like he definitely struggled in the second half. He, I don't know if he ever fully recovered from that initial injury he had in June. He just didn't seem to be the same guy as a result of that as well. And so, you know, he was, he didn't, end the season like on the highest note in the world but overall he was he was i think a big part of why i was successful because i had him in virtually every single non like keeper league i think i actually had him in every league except for two so like 12 of 14 or something like that or, like i guess i didn't have him in some dcs but he was a guy that i really really liked and um definitely uh more than returned that like adp of 500 uh <laughs> you know uh price that you paid. So I was really happy with uh Hunter Dozier, one of my favorite hits uh, of the entire uh, draft season, if not the favorite. So how
1: about you? Yeah, Do- Dozier was awesome. I remember checking him out early on, got him on waiver wires because he wasn't drafted in many places and watching his early, like just his stack has hard hit rates, all that good stuff. Dude was a freak and uh very, very talented. I was, I was impressed with him because I, I learned a lot about him also doing DFS daily and the fact his uh, splits—he was much better versus righties than lefties, which shocked the living heck out of me. Mm. But uh, he crushed righties power-wise and lefties. Maybe it adjusted as the season went on, but early on, he was a righty masher over lefties, and uh, it was very, very impressive from the young stud. Um, my number three is Maddie Chapman. Won another Gold Glove again. Just, just what they does. What he does puts him on the mantle. But he also hits bombs now. Thirty-six home runs this year. He hit 249 with a 270 Babip. That will change next year, folks. If people tell you, watch out for his batting average, he's never had a Babip even close to this low. He, in, in 2017, in 84 games, he had one at 290. Like he's going to have a 300 plus Babip because it's very hard for a guy that has a hard hit rate of 49% and an exit velo of 93% that barrels it up over 12% of the time to have a Babip of 270. It's just not gonna happen. Uh time and time again. And it's a thing we've talked about with Matty Olsen is his ground ball rate. You know, forty two percent ground ball rate compared to forty-one last year. He's gotta improve that. He did improve his fly ball rate up to twenty-eight percent last year, which helped with his um his home runs, obviously. But if he can just, you know, maybe go thirty-three, thirty-four percent fly ball, take that ground ball down to about thirty-six percent, Will Nelly. The sky is the limit for this kid because he all he's done in his entire career especially of late, you know, last year I said forty nine percent, forty eight percent the year before, his last two full seasons in baseball, he just hits the cover off the baseball and he's just getting better and better. He is only twenty six years old. I am a huge fan of Matty Chapman. I um I took him as a, a preseason bold predictions. I had him, Matt Olson, uh, and Chris Davis homering more than the big three in New York, and that happened because they are always hurt. Mm-hmm. And they also just dropped bombs. So um I, I'm a big fan of Matt Olson again this year. I mean Matt Chapman It was Chapman, Rendon, and Suarez were the three boys I wanted, and um, I had a lot of them. I had some corner infield action with Matty Chapman, so lots of fun with those guys, and Oakland's a fun team to root for. I don't know if you saw it today, Toby, but even Marcus Simeon is one of the three finalists for the AL MVP this season.
2: Really? I did not see that. Yeah, the A's are getting
1: love. Yeah. He was 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 a beast. He was so good. Yeah all right let's talk about three third basements we got wrong we have the same one at number one who you got uh my number one that i got wrong was vlad
2: jr um i had vlad jr um as my seventh third baseman after anthony rendon um and you know uh, I only, I only ended up getting Vlad jr. In one spot. I think after he got injured, I think I got him around like pick 70 or something like that, but I definitely was expecting a lot more from him, um, this year. And I just kept on holding on and waiting and waiting and waiting. And he definitely had some spurts and I don't doubt for a second that he's going to be a very good major league hitter, but I just think, you know, the ground ball rate is, is an issue. He hits a lot of balls on the ground and defenses are better. Um, uh, in the majors and they shift more and they just have a better understanding of where players are likely to hit the ball. And so um, I think he will make some adjustments. I do have to say, I really enjoyed uh, the video of him, you know, cause he had those comments about, well, I, I don't know if they were his comments, but there was the article about how, um, you know, he hadn't really worked out before uh, mm-hmm. and, you know, and he was going to work out. And I just love the video that they showed of him working out where he was jumping rope and he definitely looked trimmer than than he normally does but it kind of reminded me a little bit of the Miguel or the Miggy Cabrera video from last summer where they like showed Miggy like working out and i like watched the video and i was like he literally looks like like a 45 year old father working out like this is not <laughs> this is not a appealing working out video and i mean obviously like Ladito's he definitely looked uh, more athletic than Miggy looked, but it was also like, you know, you're 20 years old and you're jumping rope and, you know, you're jumping rope. Like like there was nothing like wonderful about it, but I just love kind of from a narrative perspective, like them kind of putting that out and like, I'm doing the work, I'm doing the work. So I think he's going to be great. I'm sure I'm not going to draft him at all next year. And, you know, he'll end up doing, just because of where he's going. I mean, in the two early mocks, I think he was going around picking, like in the low 30s that that may fall a little bit but I don't think I'll have him next year either um but he was definitely a um uh, an interesting uh yeah he was definitely a miss how about you you had
1: the same yeah thing. he he was my miss as well he was a guy I talked about with um you know Fernando Tatís and we talked about the draft with uh, Pete Alonso I wasn't in on a lot of prospects unless you're named Vlad Guerrero Jr cuz I actually thought the Blue Jays would have him up in a couple weeks. Like I didn't think it'd be a, a big drawn out saga, which it turned into. And then he finally comes up and he ate, hit much more of a rookie wall than I expected. I expected him to be much more successful when he came up there. And so that was egg on my face. I had him eighth at third base, right in front of Matt Chapman two behind uh, Suarez and Rendon. So uh, yeah, you, you pretty much nailed everything else. I think he'll have a much better year this year, but where he's going to be getting drafted very unlikely. I'll have him because we just talked about where I took Tatis in the in the, uh, two, the pitcher list mocks. Uh, I'm going to take a pitcher on the way back. There's no way Vlad makes it back to me. Not a chance. So uh, I won't have Vlad there. And I, I'm pretty sure if I do my normal strategy on the back end, I'll be going pitching again. So I won't be taking Vlad. It'd be, it's going to be very, very rare if I ever get Vlad in a draft. And uh, it's a shame. He's a lot of fun. But I'm not uh, not on board with that one. Who's your number two? Uh, my number
2: two is Jeff McNeil. Uh, McNeil was a guy I didn't like heading into this year. Um, it just see <clears throat> what kills me is he's another one. Like the the ones that I hate are just the ones where like, you didn't have to pay a high price. It's kind of like the Pete Alonzo. Like you didn't have to pay a high price. And there was just such an obvious, it was just such an obvious draft choice. Like Jed Lowry was injured. You know, he was going to get reps at second base. He's got this high batting average that he's always had. But like when I dove into it, I just, I didn't, I didn't see that happening. I didn't see the quality of contact. Like the hard hit rate was really low. And, um, you know, I didn't believe the seven stolen bases, which I was actually right about that piece of it. But I didn't think he was going to hit as well for average. I definitely didn't see the power coming. So I just thought it was going to be, if it was going to be average, it was going to be empty average. And that was, and that was, it couldn't have been further. Uh, from, from the case, he just is one of those guys who, who can do it, um, who makes a ton of contact, doesn't strike out, puts the ball in play, puts the ball in play, you know, well, and, um, you know, and that, that means something. And so, uh, he's definitely a guy that I missed. I missed out on, on getting a lot of value in a lot of drafts because he was, he wasn't exactly free, but he was definitely going in like the two hundred and fifty to 300 range, even after Jed Lowry. Um, was going to miss some time at the beginning of the season with the injury. So that's one that I definitely um, am kicking myself for because uh, who couldn't use that type of a batting average on their team?
1: What about you? No doubt about it. Uh, McNeil was a a special player last year. Uh, Mine's Chris Bryant because I had Bryant as the fourth third baseman off the board right in front of Suarez and Rendon. Oh, Baba. And um, good thing I don't have him anymore because I told you what I was trying to target. But I have him ranked fourth. And, you know, you go back and look at his stats. It's like, okay, 31 homers, 108 runs scored, 282 average, only 77 ribbies. That's not ideal. He actually overall-wise had a decent season. Now where you had to draft him, not so much because he's the back end of the first, early, second round. You're taking him quite early for that production. You wanted five categories. You did not get him. And when you look at his overall stat cast page, his X stats were like – he got, he was fortunate he last year. It, so, yeah. yeah. Let's just say fortunate last year. Yeah. <laughs> it was uh, not the ideal setup there when you, when you really break it all down with um, Chris Bryant, uh, there could be a bounce back coming this year. I just think we expected a lot more with him. I probably won't own him again this next year. Cause I know I'm, I'm already hearing people talking on Chris Bryant yet again, but um, it's, it's been weird. You know, 31 homers is nice and all, but 31 homers isn't, that, uh, that unpopular anymore. So Chris Bryant was one that I got wrong last season. Who's the yeah, third that, one that yeah, you got wrong?
2: That's a good point, too, is just like um, the 31 home runs mask a little bit of the issue because it's like he hit 31 home runs, but which sounds like a lot, but given the happy fun ball, it's not that. Bad. I think he's a guy who is going to get hurt again by that. Like the metrics just aren't.
1: Like they the were bad.
2: High, like the X, the, the stat cast data isn't high. Like I feel like he's a guy who I would not be surprised if he finished with like 24 home runs, you know, yep. uh, next year uh, in 600 plate appearances. So
1: he's, you know, he's going to be a fun one to see what the Cubs do. Cause they're going to to either trade him or sign him pretty soon. That's going to yeah. be fun. Who's your yeah. number three?
2: Um, I would trade him <laughs> um, <laughs> my three. I'm going to go with another combo, uh, a combo miss this time. So like the opposite of, of, a of an ice cream sandwich, whatever that is, this is, uh, definitely what I got here. And these guys were going about the same spot in drafts and I own them in a few places at least. Um, and that's Travis Shaw and Justin Turner. Uh, Shaw was just God awful. I mean, that's just one of those ones where like, He had a couple years of pretty consistent good performance. It actually looked like he was on the upswing a little bit um, and and kind of contributed in every category except for maybe batting average, but seemed a little unlucky in 2018. But it was just terrible. Like it was just a horrendous display, like from start to finish. And it's just one of those things where you're like, oh man, I messed that one up badly. So that was one of them. And then Turner, Turner didn't have a terrible um season, uh, you know, but he hit two ninety, and I think I was I was expecting more of what we've seen the last couple years with the three twelve and the three twenty two batting average. Um I just feel like the two ninety is solid, but where you were picking him in drafts, knowing that, you know, there's the there's the likelihood that he's gonna miss some time, the power numbers aren't gonna be insane, neither other counting stats. Like he's never hit triple digits with any of his counting stats. And so you were really relying on that batting average to uh to to lift up that value. So the 290 while solid is not is not is not what I was looking for necessarily. And then the 27 home runs was all right, but you know, 80 runs, 67 uh RBI. So in total, like 147 uh runs in RBI. You weren't expecting a lot of stolen bases. It just wasn't, you know, like a lot of what we look for in Turner was still there. There was definitely a dip in contact and I think some of that may be, you know, injury related. He had some knee issues and then he had some, uh, I think like a wrist issue or something like that throughout the course of the year. So, um, but just overall, like I think disappointing, like there was a lot of guys that went in that area that could have gotten a lot more value, like kind of the 90 to 110 range. Um, And so getting him was also a disappointment. It wasn't huge. It didn't cost you any type of leagues, but like really at least give me the type of batting average that I was hoping for in that spot. And, and he didn't do that. So he's another guy that I'll consider a miss. So those are two guys that kind of went in the like 80 to 80 to one ten range that play the same position that I missed for different reasons. Um, but th- those are the
1: guys. How about you? What was your number three? I had a feeling you'd have Travis Shaw. I remember we talked about him many times last season, and I saw you tweet about him many times last season, hoping the comeback was there. Holding on to hope. Just holding on to it. Mine was one that if people listen to my context, I wrote about him as as a sleeper, third baseman. It wasn't so much that I missed him, that I didn't like him. It's I had him ranked 18th at third base coming into the season, and I'm pretty sure most had him there or even farther back, most likely. And his name is Rafael Devers. And he absolutely had a season to remember. 32 homers, 129 runs, 115 RBIs, even stole eight bases to go with a 311 batting average. If you look at his exit velo and all that fun stuff, hard hit rate of 47.5, exit um, velo of 92%. And he, he did he did outperform his X stats, but not like crazy. Instead of hitting 311, 295, that's still very, very solid. Um, some of the other numbers, you know, 377 Woba, 360 X Woba. Not crazy stuff there. This kid is super talented, and it's been something we've known forever. His hard hit rate throughout the minors and everything was just great. It was just a matter of putting it all together, and he did a lot of that this this year. A lot better fly ball rates, line drive rates. Um, you know, a couple of years ago, you look at his pop up numbers; it's crazy. He he adjusted his swing type. He um barreled it up a lot the same. So I'm wondering, he didn't like have big uh, advances in the barrel rate, but his hard hit rate it jumped six percent this past year. He struck out 7% fewer, which is tremendous for this young kid. Because I say young kid, he's 23 years old. He's uh, going to get better and better. He's two years older than the phenom known as Juan Soto. But still, 23 is very young in this day and age. So uh, Rafael Devers, he's, he's going uh, – he's still actually available in the, the pitcher list draft. But he's going to be going second, third rounds with a lot of 15-teamers. The kid is very, very good. He's going to be in a very good lineup. J.D. Martinez is coming back. That was announced today. Um, I, I missed him for the fact that I only had him ranked 18th and he was one of the top third basemen in all of baseball, so I missed him as uh he just dominated and would have been a heck of a he'd have been like the Josh Bell of third basemans if you would have got him where you could have got him. So that's my guy, all right. That wraps up our first base, third base, corner, infield discussion before we wrap up the podcast. What are some of your final thoughts on third base or the corner infield I guess, and maybe looking ahead to twenty twenty from what you've seen so far obviously we'll preview twenty twenty in the next month or so but uh what what have you seen so far
2: yeah, I mean I think uh I touched on a little bit at the beginning, but I think for first base uh very i I don't even know if top heavy is the right word because I just think that there's there's very little depth at the position there's very little Um, value in terms of like stolen bases and batting average for Roto Leagues. Um, And so you really are talking about kind of like a a Freeman and uh, Bellinger uh, and everybody else um, type of situation. And so for me, I think, um, you know, I'm probably not going to get Bellinger or Freeman. And so what I'm going to be looking for is um, I'll probably be looking at a lot of Abreu. Uh, mm-hmm. at, you know, his early ADP is about 104. I got him in one of my 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 only real draft that I've done so far around that point. I think there's a lot of value with Abreu going right there, or else I think I'm going to wait and um and and go for maybe one of the later round power only types. Uh, Danny Santana is also interesting at an ADP of 204. Um, if he stays around that, I imagine he's going to push up a little bit as people kind of dig in and, and see a little bit of Javi Baez maybe in his profile. Um, but he might be a guy that I, I, I might target as a first baseman. Um, some other guys that come to mind, Christian Walker, Renato Nunez, CJ Crone. they all should have decent playing time next year. I think they have, you know, depending on which ball, they have pretty solid uh, power potential. Uh, They're not going to hurt you in batting average, except for maybe Nunez, but I actually liked a lot of the improvement that I saw uh, from him uh, last year. So I don't think they're going to, like, destroy you in batting average, but they should provide some home runs. I'll probably have a ton of CJ Krohn if he stays where he's going right now. Um, I think there's a couple guys that I'm kind of out on based on where they're going. Pete Alonzo, his early ADP is 44, but I've been seeing him go earlier. Uh, I think he's a guy that's a major home run regression um, candidate. Uh, for a variety of different reasons. I think we've covered on this. And then I think Carlos Santana as well. Like you got to love what he did last year, but the beauty of Carlos Santana is the fact that he's always going around like ADP of 200. And right now in in two early mocks, he was going at around 120. And I'm just not, I'm not going to bet on that kind of career year that he had happening again. And I think a lot of the value kind of gets sucked out at that point. So That's like a little bit of an overview at first base and kind of what I'm looking at right now. Uh, Third base is a little similar. I think there's a lot more depth, but it really falls off after pick 90. Um, And I think similarly, it's not a great spot uh, for average and stolen bases. So I think you're going to see a lot of third basemen go up to that pick 90. And then there's just kind of like blah. Uh, Some of the values that I saw based on the two early mock drafts. I do love... um, I do love Jose Ramirez at pick 17. I think if you can get him in the second round, I think that's solid. Um, just because even in a year where he struggled like he- all hell in the first half, he still redeemed himself because he can. he's just one of the streakiest hitters that you'll find. Yoan uh, Mankata, I like his value a lot um, at around pick 90. Uh, Al Melkier had a really good article on Fangraphs. He had a couple really good articles on Fangraphs. One of them was comparing Mankata and Chris Bryant, both in terms of like skill and uh, ADP and how Moncada going about 40 picks later. And I think in a lot of ways is a better value than Bryant is. Uh, and then Will Myers has dropped all the way down to 190. And I think if you're looking for speed from a position that you're maybe not expecting it from, I think he could be really good. Um, although he may have lost his third base eligibility. He may just be outfield depending on your league. So, look for that. And then I mentioned Renato Nunez. I think Yandy Diaz is a really nice candidate. I drafted him in one league. He had an early, two early mock drafts of 267. I think he's going to, he's shown some really good signs. And I think he's primed for a good season if he can stay healthy. And then Tommy Edmond is a guy that I think also um, just has a lot of the tools. And maybe you won't get it from other guys in the third base position and then the guys that I'm kind of out on uh Vlad Jr at 34, Manny Machado at 37, Brian at 47, um and then even Hunter Dozier, the love of my life at 128. I just think you're losing a lot of the value and he's not going to contribute in the categories that matter matter most. I think there's just better options there. But I do think like overall from a roster construction standpoint, um you know, and that's really what I'm focused on heading into the year is how how to construct my roster in a way that addresses some of the uh, from some of the scarce resources from like a stolen base and average perspective. I think you really need to think about who you're going to draft or who you're planning to draft at first base, third base, and CI because there's not a lot of guys that provide stolen bases and there's not a lot of guys who provide average. And so if you are going to have those be zeros in those categories, you're really going to rely heavily on your outfield your second base your shortstop your middle infielder for that stolen bases and that batting average and that's just a lot a lot of pressure to kind of have that uh to place on just kind of three positions in your roster in addition to like your utility and so i just think you really need to think about how you're going to construct your roster and which guys you you might be able to slip in there that can provide some stolen bases and batting average so you know that could give a little bit more, uh, a little bit of more oomph to guys like Will Myers if he does have third base eligibility. Justin Turner again, and like even guys like John Birdie, if it looks like he's going to get uh, consistent playing time, you may have to get creative in terms of taking some risks to try to fill those gaps. Because really, there's there's very little um, in kind of those three positions—the first base, third base, and CI—that uh, will be able to contribute to the overall balance of your team.
1: Yeah, when I'm looking at the, the corner infield positions, I'm not. It'd be nice to get stolen bases, but I know it's so hard to find them. Uh, some guys that stood out to me in the two early mocks is Goldschmidt's down to 66th overall. I probably won't reach for him there, but to get that kind of a drop off in a guy is very interesting. You mentioned Abreu. Abreu and Olsen are going right next to each other. Two guys I've been a fan of. I, it it sucks Trey Mancini's going so high now. He was a guy I absolutely loved as a sleeper. If you're looking for some value, Uh, Ryan McMahon getting Coors action again at pick 180 has my attention. I really want to watch spring training because if you can get Nate low around pick 200, Mm -hmm. I think that's a a super, super good one to like there. Renato Nunez, you mentioned him. CJ Crohn, those are guys I was all over last season, off and on at times. Big fans of them. Uh, Garrett Cooper is a guy to keep an eye on about pick 310. If you're late in a draft looking for power, he might hurt you in a couple other places. But he could be a, a, a nice power source late in your draft. Then when you look at the third base position, some names that stood out, these will change because Rafael Devers is going ahead of Rendon right now. I don't see that lasting long. But you can still get Chapman at a decent number at about 67 or 80, but I'd rather get Moncada at 87. That one is very, very strong. Um, Moustakis at 130. I'm curious to see where he lands. But Miguel Sano at 167. This guy, once he got healthy again this year, super, super good. And I, I like his upside Big time over some of those guys. Like Josh Donaldson is going to pick ninety. I'll take Miguel Sano over Donaldson every day of the week. You can name the number right now, and and, I, and I'll take that deal. So I, I like snow a lot in in that situation. And some other values. Um, I know you like Hunter Dozier. And you talked about you won't take him because of that pick. There's no need to pick take Hunter Dozier at pick 129 when you can get JD Davis at 206. They're almost the same player. Uh, that's just my two cents. Uh, Renato Nunez. You mentioned him already. Uh, a couple other guys, maybe if you're going deep, Tommy Edmond. I love. We saw him play some great ball towards the end of the season. As Drupal Cabrera, Marvin Gonzalez. Always nice middle infield guys, but we'll have to kind of wait and see where some of these other guys land because there are some nice deep options here depending on where they um, they fall in your team builds, as you were mentioning. All right, that'll wrap us up. Episode 12, Above and the Bat flip in the books. Any final thoughts, Toby? Uh, nope.
2: Uh, it, uh, thanks everybody, uh, so much for listening, Bubba. Thank you for your, uh, your patience as you, uh, as I had to, I had to delay the start uh, a little bit there, um, no to worries. hang out with, uh, with my, with my family. And, uh, I appreciate you, uh, you giving me that opportunity. And as always, it is awesome to, uh, to share the podcast with you.
1: Yep. No doubt about it. I've been looking forward to this. We had a couple of weeks off for, uh, traveling and whatnot. So it was fun to get back in, uh, record a show and talk some baseball, and we'll be back at it hopefully next week. We'll see what the schedules look like, and we'll do middle infield. We'll be second base and shortstop, and uh, I tweeted it out. We didn't get any responses this week, but if you guys have any specific players for the middle infield next week, let us know, and we can dig into them a little more for you. We will do a 2020 preview much more in depth in the, in the coming weeks to month or so, but this is just kind of another way to look back and, and see some things, good and bad, not all bad, but to see a little bit of everything. And kind of get us ready as we're doing more mock drafts. And we'll have more of the uh, pitcher list mock to talk about next week for sure. As um, Al, um, Mike Gianella took Jose Altuve after my Fernando Tatis Jr. pick. So we'll check that out more in depth next week as well. But until then, you can type Toby on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy. I am at Beatty Intric, And this is Bubba and the BatFlip, episode 12. Catch you guys later.